0: This is Mordecai Joseph. We are continuing again in tape in all lesson 38 in Deuteronomy, where we stopped at that time, in chapter uh, 32. And in verse 39, we're going to continue with verse verse 39 now, where Moses continues. "Uh, Now see that I, even I, am he, and there is no God, no Elohim, beside me. In other words, all the idols that you worship are not true gods. But I am the only one that deals with you who am God. And of course at that time, he's not talking about the one that sent him. I kill and I make alive. You see, with you is different. When you kill, you cannot make alive. So God says, you better not kill. Unless God gives you permission to do so. And as far as murdering, you should never do that. Because if you do, then you'll have the death penalty over your head. But God says, I kill and I make alive. He didn't say, I murder, but I kill. And Ten Commandments, the command is not, thou shalt not kill, the command is, thou shalt not murder. And the two things are totally different. And so it says, I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal. In other words, even though I send you into captivity and punish you and bring all these evils upon you, even if I kill you, just like you killed me, you see, I will bring you back to life and I will heal you and I will heal your heart and your mind and circumcise you. And give you my Holy Spirit and it shall be my people again. And so he says, I do all these things. No is there any who can deliver from my hand. For I raise my hand to heaven and say, So God is swearing, as I live forever. That's what makes him the eternal, Jehovah. Because it lives forever. Verse forty one. If I wet my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies. And repay those who hate me. You see, so we don't need to be in that state of mind. And then it continues. I will make, in other words, he's speaking also about the enemies of Israel, his own people. Not only about the rebels in the midst of his people. Verse 42, I will make my heirs drunk with blood, and my soul shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives. From the heads of the leaders of the enemy. And the prophets spoke an awful lot about all, about all those things to come. In time past, some of them came came in part, but ultimately speaking, at the end time, the regime of Israel comes back. There is going to be an awful lot of slaughter upon this earth, but God is going to kill an awful lot of people and allow them to kill one another. But that's not the end of it. In verse 43, Rejoice, all nations, O Gentiles, with His people. You see, I make the distinction here between the nations, no, they're not the church. They're children, going to be children. And his people, they're two different entities. A lot of people, especially the false church, the counterfeit church, taught that lie. And many of us believe it in our own needs. There was once upon a time, Israel, physical Israel, a whole bunch of rebel rousers. God threw them away. And now we are the Israel of God. God says, no. There are you nations who will remain the nations and his people... The people of Israel, that's what the context is all about, that Moses is talking about. You cannot spiritualize any of that. You know, Only deceivers would do that. And so he's speaking about his own people and the ones that he grafted among his people to become also a member of the household of God, as Paul later on will call them. And so God is going to, to uh, make all the nations rejoice with his people. Because he's going to deliver all humanity. For he will avenge the blood of his servants. Later on you would read about it, ultimately speaking. After the trouble of Jacob comes upon Jacob, all the nations of Israel and the people of God, you see, a lot of them are going to be martyred. You read in Revelation chapter 6 and then also in Revelation 19 verse 2, where God says he's going to avenge the blood of his servants. We're going to be shed by the Babylon of this world, physical and spiritual. And physical Israel and spiritual Israel is going to be martyred. Many of them. And God is going to seek vengeance. And we continue. As God says, rejoice, O nations, verse 43, with his people, the people of God, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. Let's that they are the adversaries of Israel, the adversaries of, of the spiritual Israel of God. God says, no, you are my adversaries. And then he continued the statement, and he will provide atonement for his land and his people. He's going to purify the land of Israel from all the bombing that is in here today and was in the past. And also destroy all the rebel rouses that shouldn't be there. God is going to do it. People don't have to do it. He's going to use people to do it, including his own people, of Israel. As you can read very plainly in Isaiah chapter 11, as well as many other places, where God is going to use the house of Joseph and the house of Judah and tribes of Israel to destroy, you know, the remnants of the Canaanites and the Philistines and others who are in the land. And Edom and Moab are going to be subject to them. And God will give the land to his people, Israel, and he's is going to provide atonement for them with his own blood, which he did shed for them 2,000 years ago, and many of them have rejected it because of deception. Some did accept it, some still do accept it, but in the future when he comes, all of them will accept it. And so, you see, the end of the road. That song began from the days of Moses. That song ends up with the second coming of Christ. And throughout the whole history that we read in this song, his people is the center of it. So who and what is the true church of God? You've got some answers there. At least we're answering the, the, the question of, uh, of who and the what. We'll come to it later. And so Moses, verse 44, came with Joshua, the son, uh, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the, in the hearing of the people. And Moses finished speaking all these words to all of Israel. And so he told them. Verse 46, and he said to them, "Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you. You see the testimony, the te- the the, uh, the concept of testifying, testimony, and body of witnesses. It's all within that concept of the church, which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law." And so, that's what he told him. When he crossed the land, you know, you keep up with this or else you're going to be in trouble. And you don't want to be in trouble. And we continue now to... Uh so, basically, what we read so far is about the fact that even though God is allowing his people to go through all these afflictions, he's going to bring them back. And after all, he's not responsible for their afflictions. They're the one that are doing it. A lot of people like to blame God when evil come upon them, and they say, well, if God is love, how come this and how come that? Uh, sometimes uh, even the righteous people suffer, and we don't know why, yet God has something in mind for us, and we shouldn't be complaining. Uh, we can explain, but we shouldn't be complaining to God, but uh, asking what His will uh, is, so that we may know it and follow it, not have to unnecessarily suffer. And so, uh, God. He's going to provide atonement for His land and for His people. And that's what the New Covenant is all about, you know, in uh, Jeremiah 31:31, And the atonement that uh, Isaiah speaks about in Isaiah 53, and so forth, many other places. And God said it in so many other times to His own people. He's going to atone for their sins. He's going to redeem them. He's going to cleanse them. He's going to purge them. And the disciples of Christ will continue on to explain that by magnifying the Torah, by magnifying the prophets, by saying that Christ, you know, is going to purify and purge and and cleanse his body. You see? His bride. So it would be without spots and without blemishes. So what they had in mind is totally different from what people thought that they had in mind because they had no background. They didn't know what they were talking about. They were talking about the people of Israel in their days that God called and they were the foundation of the. Of the continuation, not a new church, but a continuation of that church of Israel. It was only one, just like, you know, the woman of God is only one, just like Revelation 12, speaking only by the one woman from the beginning until the end. And they understood it totally differently. But people, not having a background, uh, totally misunderstood what what Paul was talking about. Peter made it very plain only those who are unlearned wrestle with the scriptures. To their own destruction. And as time goes by, that becomes truth to people, and then uh, when you take into account that many, many centuries went by, and now people think, well, that's the way it was from the beginning. And yet, if you go to the beginning of the book and begin to read it, you begin for the first time in your life to uncover the truth in its purity. And God had it recorded there. Even though now and then, you know, that's some words that were changed, but that's minimal. The picture is there. The puzzle is there. The p- pattern is there. And that's the only way you are going to ever find out who and what is the true church of God. And that's what I'm saying. An awful lot of books were written about church history, but all of them have a major flaw. They're not based on the pattern that God set in motion of what is really the true church of God. And so they go... Only from the beginning, so to speak, of the 2,000 years ago, and to think, well, that's the history of the true Church of God. You got to go to, to uh, Genesis one one, go throughout the entirety of it, and see what God had to say about it from the beginning until the end. That's the only way you are going to remain in the light, or else Satan will be will deceive you, and you are not going to be the very elect. And so, in chapter thirty three, now we continue where Moses is saying. Verse 1, now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, "Now speaking about the second coming of the Redeemer of Israel. The Lord came from Sinai, that's the first time, and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came with, the, with ten thousands of his sins, you know, the first time when he came to Sinai. And later on, as Jude nations, the Lord will come, executing vengeance with ten thousands of his saints. He's talking about the final one. And from his right hand came a fiery law for them. Yes, he loves the people. Not hated them, he loves them. All his saints. When people talk about the saints, whom do they think about? They don't think about the people of God. And what is Moses talking about in this particular uh, occasion. He's speaking about, a, by, uh, about the nation of Israel that stood before Mount Sinai and immediately after that they made the golden calf and for 40 years they were rebellious. Yeah, God called them his saints. Why are they saints? Because God is the one that sanctifies. That doesn't mean just, just because God sanctified anybody that that person is now a saint. In the concept that we have in the world. A saint. Never sins. Never does any wrong. What it means is that God sanctified you to be to be his people, to walk in his commandments. And some do and some don't, but they're still the saints, because God sanctified them. And even those who have the Holy Spirit, we all know if we're righteous and honest, as Paul said. Well, here's St. Paul, as some people call him. And Paul said, the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. I know what is good, but I don't find myself doing it. So you, see, you have to redefine your concept of sainthood from God's point of view. A lot of people who are saints doing an awful lot of horrible things. Like King David, you know, murdering the husband, taking the wife to himself before she was uh, free. And so we have to see from God's point of view. And that's what Moses is saying. Yes, he loves the people, in spite of them. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone received your words. And he's speaking finally, ultimately, when that shall be a reality. Moses commanded us a law. Now Moses is writing it, but this is the way he phrased it. And then all of Israel are going to read it. And then throughout the history of uh, the Jewish people, you see that commandment always being used. Moses commanded us a law for us. A heritage of the congregation of Jacob. In other words, the law that God gave us, the Torah that God gave us through Moses... Is the heritage of the congregation of Jacob. But here again, if you read it in English, congregation, you're going to be misled because it doesn't say congregation. Congregation is when a bunch of people congregate, then it will become a congregation. The Hebrew says, Adat Yaakov. Oh, in this case, actually, it says Kehilat Yaakov. Uh, Kahal means public. And, uh, means more like congregation, but in other places, well, actually, in this case, congregation is correct, the translation, but in other places where it says congregation, the word is actually adat, That is, body of witnesses of Jacob. And he was king in Yeshurun, speaking about the, the God of Israel, when the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. And then he says, verse 6, let Reuben live and not die. And that is a repetition that we read earlier in Leviticus. But it's only important to to notice certain verses here. Uh, and uh, that in, about Judah he said, and this he said of Judah. From Reuben, the firstborn, he goes to Judah. And with a purpose. And notice he didn't say first Joseph, but he said first Reuben, was the firstborn. So even here at the end of the road, of the forty years, Moses is still repeating the same thing in the beginning of the 40 years and at the end of the 40 years he's still saying the same thing. Reuben is the firstborn. And Judah, verse 7, of Judah he says, Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people. In other words, the time went by and Judah was separate and Israel was separate from Judah and Judah was separate from Israel. And now all the nations of Israel, the tribes of Israel are scattered in all directions. And they are neither together in, in terms of proximity of uh, religion, in terms of uh, culture, in terms of uh, serving the same God. They are all scattered in many ways. You see, some people here, some people there, and then Judah is scattered throughout all the nations of the earth. And they are just not together. So he's, he's asking for the regathering of all the tribes of Israel, where Judah will be, again, a part of all the nations of Israel, not divided entities. And so he says, and bring him to his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and may you be a help against his enemies. And that ser- certainly God fulfilled many times, in spite of the rebellion that he found in Judah many times to this very day. So it's important to see it from God's point of view, that God constantly makes it plain in so many ways. Now, he had never rejected Judah, he had never rejected Israel, he had never rejected his church, he had never rejected his people. He will bring them back. Purify them, make them wholesome, clean, pure, righteous, and all that. And they will all again be his people, and he will marry them again. And we'll come to that later on. And so, basically, I think this is enough in terms of, uh, of the prophets. Uh, we should just mention here again uh, that it's in terms of the law of God. But let, let's add also in verse 13, because we're speaking about Joseph. And mind, it's for the end time. And of Joseph he said, blessed of the Lord is his hand with the precious things of heaven. So he's enumerating all the blessings that he gave to Joseph. And then later on he brought all the tribes of Israel to share it with Joseph. That's why I explained earlier what does it mean, the law of the firstborn. Two portions over the rest, Uh, Not 90% and then 10% for the rest. And so he gives him all those things. And to uh, Joseph and specific is talking about also his sons Ephraim and Manasseh verse 17 but in other case uh, be it Judah, be it uh, Ephraim be it uh, Manasseh, be it Joseph, be it God be it anyone else all part of the woman of God the wife of God, the church of God the people of God, the saints of God it's a continuum and God had his eyes on them all this time never rejected them and he came and died for them, not so he can remarry to somebody else. And then, now he said, well, I'm going to build my church. What he's talking about, without a background, he don't know what he's talking about. He's going now to open the door to the Holy of Holies, so his people can receive the Holy Spirit. He said, I came to my own, not to others. And so he began working with his own people, and the entirety of the church, so to speak, of the body of witnesses, were all Jews. All the Israelites, other tribes of Israel, Benjamin represented, you know, like Paul, many others. And the other tribes of Israel, you know, few, not many. And then he sent them to all the rest of the tribes of Israel, in Babylon, in beyond the river, to all the tribes of Israel and all the apostles of the circumcision, like Peter and others. And so he continued to remain with his people. That was the church is talking about. And then also, later on, after that, you know, after he was resurrected, some years down the road, he also called the Apostle Paul and told him, well, you go to the, to the nations also, because I want some individuals among them, those who fear me, and are, who will humble themselves. I want them also grafted to the commonwealth of Israel. And that was the story of the church. And those who have no background don't understand it. They think that God was totally rejecting his people and beginning a totally, entirely new entity, which he did not. That is an absolute lie, which is being taught to this very day. And some in our midst have fallen for it, and some in our midst, who had known better, are going back to it. Which is a horrible shame. You see, the dog can go back to his own vomit, but people who came to God should not go back. Once they've of the good things of, of life, to go back, you know, it's very difficult to bring them back to repentance. And this, in essence, became the background, and that's only the beginning, that's just the law of all the prophets and all the uh, later on the background to all the, the disciples of Christ and from that point of view everything was written not apart from it and all that the prophets and the apostles were talking about is the covenant the promises the punishment of the wicked the restoration and redemption of all of Israel that never deviated from that message they did not bring another gospel just like Paul said unto them also the gospel was being preached, just like unto us It's a continuum. It's not a different gospel. It's not another story. It's not another church. And so we have to renew our minds and examine ourselves. What kind of evil? What kind of vomit? What kind of filth? What kind of stench? What kind of pollution? What kind of mixture of truth and error we've been eating all this time? Therefore, God tells us, come out of Babylon. God wants to be worshipped only in truth and in spirit. And so... It's important to see that concept of who and what is the Church of God from this point of view. And if you want to understand what the apostles are talking about, every single word that they said and every single word that Christ said, read the background. Without the background, you don't know what they are are saying. And when they say, oops, it's not what you mean. A lot of people don't understand that. And so, that is very important to understand that. And... With this in mind, we're going to go into another phase of it. We're going to go to the Psalms now. Because again, the Psalms continued in the same line and taught an awful lot of things. That is, in this case, we're talking about King David. We're talking about uh, other prophets of God at the time, Asaph and many others. And in every single case, the same mind that was in Moses, that was in the prophets, that was in the father, as later on, we are told, as Peter tells us in chapter 1, 1, Peter, that the Spirit of Christ that was in them, that is, in the prophets of old, Spirit of Christ, see, Christ was in them. They're all Christians, they're all in them, that's him, followers of Christ, in other words, followers of the, of the anointed Savior, followers of the Messiah, who is the God of Israel. It's a continuum, it's one body. Let's not be deceived, you know, by those who don't know better. But there was an old one, now there is a new one. That's why there was a need by the counterfeit church to invent this terminology. Old Testament, New Testament. Yes, there was an old covenant and new covenant. But what they mean by that, we have nothing to do with the old, we do not need to obey the law of Moses, we do not need to obey the law of God. We don't have to obey the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath, or holidays, or clean and unclean. That's what they mean by that when they say Old Testament and New Testament. And they divided the books. God never divided that. As a matter of fact in the manuscripts of the, of the scrolls in the synagogue and in the temple, even the words were not divided. And in order to know where you begin and where you, you know, where you end, sometimes they had to put a little letter and a big letter so, so you would know. Well, what is the first one? What is the last one? And if the last letter of one word happened to be also the first letter of the second word, they used only one. And to distinguish between the two, they use a little letter for one, the ending one, so you would know that you're beginning a new word. But all, everything ran in a continuum manner, because that's the way God wanted it to be. And that's the way God wrote it, and that's the way Moses wrote it, and that's the way Israel and Nehemiah wrote it, and that's the way it is uh, in, in the book of uh, all the law that you can read uh, you know, to this very day. It's on a continuum basis. There's no division. God is not an author of confusion and division. Man is. Satan is. And so we're going to go now to the Psalms, where we're constantly going to read many statements along the same lines. So let's begin with with Psalm 25 and verse 22, where Prophet of God, David, is writing at the end of his uh, discourse uh, with God, Uh, and his people, and uh, the redemption of God, and all those things. You know, read the whole psalm. It's very interesting. And how he ends up the thought, Mind you, he's being inspired by by, by God himself, by the one that became Christ, to say these things, to write these things. And this is how he ends up his psalm. Verse 22. Redeem Israel, O God, O Elohim, out of all their troubles. You see? That's the desire of God. And so he's... It's uh, inspiring David to write it, so his people can read it, and be comforted by it, and encouraged. And then Psalm 28, we go to Psalm 28, and verse 9, where again David said, uh, in, uh, in verse 8 he said, "...the Lord is their strength, and He is the saving refuge of His anointed." You see, their strength, that is speaking about the people, and His anointed, that is the King, King David himself. In verse 9 he says, Save your people and bless your inheritance, shepherd them also, and bear them up forever. You see? Forever. And so David makes it very plain what is on the mind of God. And that's in essence, God is inspiring him to see these words. That God is going to shepherd them, he's a good shepherd, and he will be with them Forever. He will bear them up forever. He will never leave them nor forsake them. And uh, then we read also in uh, 29, Psalm 29 and verse 11, The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord that is eternal will bless his people with peace. Because that's what he's speaking about, the ultimate. And uh, before that, you can see, you know, the the song of glory that uh, David is composing. Uh, to God, and speaking in terms of the awesomeness and glory and majesty of God and to the future, and about his uh, verse 10, the Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever, and in that context, as uh, sitting uh, as a king forever, the Lord will give his strength to his people and on the same context, and the Lord will bless his people with peace. And so in all, in all in many of the psalms that is uh, this is what God inspired David to write. To remind his people Israel that he still loves them in spite of all their problems, and is going to deliver them from their sins and iniquities. And he will be with them forever. He'll never forsake them, never leave them. And then we go to uh, Psalm 46. And uh, we read in Psalm 46, which is a, a psalm of a millennium, in, a, in other words, of the coming time when God shall be upon this earth. And in this case, uh, it is uh, written by the, the, that is, uh, the sons of Korah. The two were prophets, inspired by God, who were in the temple. God uh, established them uh, in the days of David, and after that, uh, to be in charge of the music in the temple, Korah, and then the sons of Asaph also. And this is what they write also under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that is by God himself. Uh, they are writing about, uh, about the glory of God and so we read in uh, in verse uh, in verse 4 something that we are going to read about later on there is a river you know that is describing the city of god there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of god the holy place of the tabernacle of the most high and god is in the midst of her she shall not be moved you know, we were asking the question before and we were not answering that. What? Not only who, we know who, and we're going to find out more and more who until the end of the book. But also, what is the church of God? Because God used two terminologies for his church. One in terms of a people, and another one in terms of a city. You see? Not only when we get to Revelation, we'll see why God said. Come, uh, I'll uh, show you the bride. In Revelation 22, I believe, the last chapter, or maybe 21, I will show you the bride. And then he showed me the holy city. Well, how can the holy city be the bride? Well, God used Jerusalem, both the physical one and the spiritual one, to come as symbolically uh, a metaphor for the nation of God. That is, the people of God, the wife of God, the bride of God. And that's why Jerusalem is called, both in the Prophets and later on, so, uh, Paul says, heaven in Jerusalem is the mother of us all. That, well, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the city of God, where God is, where the souls of the, of the children of Israel are with God, that died and will be resurrected, you see. And that's why in Hebrews 12, he says, we're coming to before Mount Zion and before the, many of the souls of the righteous men, of the saints. That's what he's talking about. So there you have the who and the what. And we'll see more about that later. And God is in her midst. And she shall not be moved. Speaking about the nation, speaking about the city altogether. And uh, God shall help her just at, at the break of dawn. In other words, when things seem to be so bad and, and terrible, uh, God is going to come and deliver his people. Verse 6, the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered His voice, the earth melted. So it's talking about the coming of the second uh, Redeemer. That is, the, the second coming of the Redeemer of God. The Redeemer of Israel. you know, The God of Israel. The God of Jacob. The Savior. The Messiah. Jesus Christ. Verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. You see? Not with them. With us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And He's speaking about He's speaking about the end time, about God being in the midst of the nation. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You see, God is speaking, but he's going to be in Jerusalem in the midst of his people. And so verse 11 ends up, the Lord of hosts is with us. Not with you nations, but with us. And you're going to have to come to us. That's what Christ was saying to the Samaritan woman. Salvation is of the Jews. And he's speaking specifically and about the people of God, which at the time, all the other tribes were gone, and all the part of Judah was there. That's what he meant. He's speaking about all of Israel, in essence. And so he says, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. And that's the song of the millennium, of the future, when all nations of the earth shall flood to Jerusalem, because out of Jerusalem, you know, if out of Zion, the law shall go forth, and the word of God, of Elohim, Of the God of Israel, the Redeemer of Israel, of the Messiah, shall come out of Jerusalem, where the children of Israel are. And all nations of the earth who want to serve God will come to that city. As I continue to read also in Psalm 47, again, Songs of the Millennium, in verse 3, He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loves. And that's the reason why the apostles, who knew very well, all as much as uh, Christ told them about the kingdom of God, who had the background of what we are talking about, and so much more so, they knew the end of the road. They knew that God is coming, Christ is coming a second time. They knew that Israel will be at the top of all the nations of the earth. God never forsook them, and all the nations of the earth will come, you know, and seek the the graces, so to speak, and the favor of Jerusalem. Of the people of Israel, because they know God is in her midst. And so that's why they said, Lord, in Acts chapter 6, uh, that is chapter 1 and verse 6, will you, re- will you restore the kingdom at this time to Israel? You see, they were not ignorant people. Other people are ignorant. And they so thought they didn't know what they were talking about. The apostles knew very well what the kingdom of God was all about. When God will restore his people Israel to himself, redeem them, be in their midst, cause all the nations of the earth to walk in their light, you see, and resurrect all the fathers, and the apostles will be in charge, every one of them, of one tribe of Israel, and David, all, all, the, nation, all the tribes of Israel, the nations of Israel. You see, that's what God is talking about. So this whole psalm, you can read that when you're going to read everything. And uh, 48, again, about the same story. Uh, "...great is the Lord, and greatly to be pleased, praised in the city of our God." That is verse 1. Again, Jerusalem and His holy mountain. There is only one holy mountain. "...beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great King. God is in her palaces." And we're going to read that later on when we get to Revelation. And people don't understand that when we read about Mount Zion, and about the city of God. They spiritualize everything. That's why they never understood what the kingdom of God is all about. And they think about all this false doctrine of going to heaven, and that's the kingdom of God. And later on, they changed that. Well, they said, no, we are the kingdom of God, the church on this earth. Much ignorance, and no knowledge and understanding. And then we go to uh, Psalm 53, where we continue to read in verse 6. All that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. And you see it throughout the entirety of the scriptures, from the beginning until the end. And this is God speaking through his servant and recording the history of the true church. And who and what is the true church? You see... And when people don't do it, don't go to God, you know, for truth, knowledge, and understanding, but they go to man, they get bits and pieces, you know, of truth and error in it, and they get totally mixed up. And their puzzle is totally mixed up, and they don't have the right pattern and a clear picture, as God sees it, not as man sees it. And that's why we're told, our God is not the author of confusion. Their God is, but not our God. And if you're going to see God's way, you're going to have to go through His Word from the beginning until the end. And then we go to uh, Psalm 67, where we continue. I mean, there are an awful lot of references to that. Uh, You actually have to read the whole Bible in order to be able to get the picture even much clearer, more details. But we're going through highlights, but thoroughly enough so you will never be deceived. That is, if you want to walk in the light and be undeceived. And uh, in uh, Psalm 67, verses 5 to 7... Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. This psalm is written by the chief musician of the temple. And guess what people is talking about? And he's being inspired by God to write this kind of uh, words. So I have to take it from that point of view. And then we go to uh, Psalm 69. And we read in uh, verses 34 to 36. Let the heaven pray, uh, the heaven and earth praise Him. The seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion. Who is Zion? And build the cities of Judah. Who is Judah? And where are the cities of Judah? That they may dwell there and possess it. Also the descendants of his servants, his body of witnesses, his church, shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. So God is making it very plain who his people are, what his cities are, who are his tribes. And he gives us information as specific. And Psalm 83, the entirety of it, that is written by by Asaph, is about a time... Uh, of the uh, present time actually we are living in this time where we see this reality where he says Asaph is writing this he says do not Psalm 83 do not keep silent O God do not hold your peace and do not be still O God for behold your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head they have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones they said, come let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. And isn't that what the enemies of Israel have tried to do and attempted to do in the past many, many centuries? Especially when, they, when the counterfeit church rose into power and deceived the whole world that it is a true one. They tried to do it even more so. With the people of Israel, the different tribes of Israel that came to the knowledge of the faith, is the apostles went everywhere, preaching the truth. And then after that, you know, were, were those that were visible, like the people of Judah, they tried constantly to totally destroy them, so that their name would be remembered no more. And now in specific, we see in the Middle East the same situation. Especially in the past, during the, you know, the major wars of the hidden Middle East. That was the intent. And in this case, in specific, he's talking about this, this reality. He says in verse 5, For they have consulted together with one consent, they form confederacy against you. See, that's the way God sees it. The tents of Edom, and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagarites, Gebal and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia, you know, the Palestinians and all those among them, Canaanites, Amalekites, you know, Ammon, we're talking about the Jordan and Moab, Jordan, and, you know, in Gibal, speaking about Lebanon, you know, the Hezbollah, the have in Lebanon, who want to destroy Israel. So, he's talking about this in particular. And Assyria also joined with them. So, he's speaking about a future time also. And also talking about the land of Assyria that later on became known as Syria. So, he's talking also about Syria, which was a part of ancient Assyria. Now, this is modern Syria in specific. They too had joined with them and helped the children of Lot. You see, and all these things are coming against Israel, against the people of God. And verse 12, you know, they said, Let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession. Now, of course, they don't mention those very words, but that's the intent that he's talking about. In other words, they want to take over the land, take it to themselves. Yet this is the land of God, and the people that are there are the people of God, in spite of all the rebellion against the law of God, where many of them hate even the law of God, the Torah of God. And many of them, I understand, more and more, even stop being circumcised. They totally want to be like the other nations. Yet, as bad as they are, God is going to heal them and cleanse them and purge them and purify them and bring them back. And all the enemies are going to perish. And so that's what uh, God is inspiring this uh, this man uh, to write. Ansaf, you know, he was a prophet. And so we go to 85. You read more about it. In 87, I mean, there's statements after statements after statements where God makes it very plain that He is going to deliver His people and bring them back, and He make them His own people and give them salvation and heal them, and grant them repentance. Then in Psalm 89, you read about the special covenant that God made with David himself. And he's saying about him, among other things, in verse 30, Psalm 89, verse 30, If his sons forsake my Torah, my law, and do not walk in my judgment, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, which many of them did, they did not keep the law, they broke the commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod, and their iniquity with the stripes. Nevertheless, My loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that came out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. As a matter of fact, He's saying the same about Israel also. I'm not going to lie to Israel. I'm not going to lie to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I'm not going to lie to all the generations of Israel that I made a covenant with them. You see? He says, about David, his seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the son before me. And over whom David rules? Over Israel. And if Israel is gone, over, De- over whom David is going to rule? Well, obviously Israel has to be there too. It shall be established forever like the moon, verse 37, even like the faithful witness in the sky. And so God is going to be always with his people, Israel, he'll never forsake them, he'll never leave them, he would never forsake David, and David is going to rule over Israel forever, and if there is no Israel over whom David is going to rule, well obviously Israel is going to be there. And so God makes it very plain again and again and again and again. And the people who want to believe God should read his book and his words and, so to speak, read my lips, God is saying, from the beginning until the end, that he never lies. You see? God of Israel never lies. He's not a man, that he lies. And people don't believe it. And so they believe lies instead. And they think God forsook his people, now we are the people of God. And so let's read it from the story from the mouth of God himself. Well, you know, you want to study church history? Go to God. He'll tell you what church history is all about. And then you can go to men for little details here and there about bits and pieces of a later time, the last 2,000 years in specific. And uh, so God speaks about the affliction of Judah in, in Psalm 94 likewise. And in Psalm 95. And uh, many other statements where God revealed an awful lot of knowledge and information. And it's important for us to uh to to read all those things uh let's go uh to to uh psalm ninety eight we read in verses one to three all oh, sing to the lord a new song for he has done marvelous things his right hand ha- and his holy arm have gained him the victory and you read you have to know the context of this statement we sing it but many of us don't don't realize what it's talking about verse two the lord has made he Known his salvation, that is to his people, his righteousness, he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. It's important to understand it from God's point of view. And then in 99, Psalm 99, verses 1 and 2. The Lord reigns, let the people tremble. People tremble, he dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved, let the Lord, uh, the Lord is great in Zion. He is coming to his own land, his own city. And he said, he shall set the ten, tents of Judah first, and then bring back all the dispersed of Israel. Uh, the Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the peoples, all the nations, who are going to come to the light of Zion, of Israel. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. And all these things have to be understood from the point of view of what God has in mind for his people. And then we go to Psalm 1 or 2, and verse 1. Psalm 1 and 2, verse 1, we read, "Uh, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me in the day that I call. Answer me speedily." And not only the psalmist is saying that, this is a prayer for the afflicted. Anybody among the children of Israel that cried like that, because he knew that God will deliver Israel and he's not going to forsake them. And you can read the rest of uh, all the psalm. A lot of uh, statements there about the deliverance that he's going to bring to Zion, he's going to bring to his people Israel. And, uh, and then he says uh, in uh, in verse 16, "For the Lord shall build up Zion; he shall appear in his glory; he shall regard the prayer of the destitute, speaking about the people of God. He shall not despise their prayer." This will be written for the generations to come. That's throughout the millennium, that the people that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, and speaking about the future, where God will bring back his nation, the whole nations of Israel, and make them his people again, and be their God. So it's something for the future. For he looked down from the height of his sanctuary, from the heaven the Lord viewed the earth, to hear the groaning of a prisoner, and to release those appointed to death, because now Israel will, re- will remember that they know who their God is when they're in captivity, and they're going to call on God. And since we're reaching the end of the tip, I'll stop at this point. Saying again, greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the worldwide website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions. The Bible has answers.